This podcast is brought to you by Nesta, the UK's Innovation Foundation, and was recorded at Futurefest, our weekend festival of ideas. The pursuit of happiness, neurological thrill rides, and traveling through time. This is the Future Fest podcast. I'm Emily Elias, and we're asking, how far will we go to get our kicks in the future? On this episode... I think within our lifetimes, we can connect our brain to the uh, virtual uh, reality. Professor Adrian Chuck pushes our brains to their thrill-seeking limits. Author Paul Dolan teaches us how to be happy, and comedian Dan Schreiber uses fact and funny to ponder the potential of time travel. You know, if you knew Nala from Lion King in person, that would be a very different world that we'd be living on. But let's start this journey of future thrill-seeking with the key that binds it all together. Happiness, or the pursuit thereof. And author Paul Dolan has got the inside track on finding your happiness. His book, Happiness by Design, is flying off bookshelves, and he took to the stage at FutureVest to impart his wisdom. If anyone asks me why does anyone do anything, the short answer really is because they can. If you live near a takeaway, you're more likely to gain weight than if you don't. Um, Eating, your opportunity to cheat in a whole range of different contexts is basically driven because by the opportunity to. my book was, uh, was Waterston's non-fiction paperback of the month in January, and um, there are lots of people that went into that store with no intention of buying my book whatsoever, um, and came out with it, just uh, it's in the window, it's at the till, it's that kilo bar of chocolate in Smith's that you didn't intend to buy that you're devouring when you're walking out, having just paid a quid for it, um, were driven by opportunity. That's been fantastic, of course, for the book, but um, you need to design your environments that make it easier, easier to do the things that make you happier and harder to do the things that don't. That's the really basic behavioral science insight. Make it easy. Make things that make you happier easy, things that don't hard. But if you actually think about what you do in your personal lives, and certainly what we do in public policy, is that we often make it really hard for us to do things that make us happy, and really easy to do things that don't. So you need to design your environments in ways that make it easier for you to pay attention to what you're doing, who you're with, and how it's feeling. and avoid distraction. Um, Now, I mentioned that the unconscious brain drives most of our behavior. Um, Most of what you do simply comes about rather than being thought about. You're making about 10,000 decisions every day. If you thought about each and every one of those, your head would explode. Your brain is lazy. It wants to conserve attentional energy. It tries to create habit loops. So it's, for example, why, if you check whether you've turned the oven off, lock the car, lock the house. Sometimes you don't know whether you've done those activities because you don't know whether you've done them because they're automated processes. So, so the key to, to life is to, is to understand how this unconscious mind works and to design environments that make it easier for you to be happier in them. It's a bit like trying to design a park for a dog and you're going to let the dog off the lead and let it run around. Once you've designed the park properly, you can let the dog off the lead and just let it run around knowing that it's going to be happy. It's a bit like that with your brain. Consciously design your environments in ways that make it easier for you to be happy. Let your unconscious mind off the lead and let it run around um, and then it won't have to think or work too hard. So I was going to then just return quickly to, um, to the issue of what happiness is. And um, that's obviously a two and a half thousand year old question. 
most of the time when we measure happiness, we've done it in ways by asking people global questions of how satisfied they are with their lives overall. And people answer those questions very quickly. Um, but whichever way they answer it, they're largely constructions. And instead, I think we should be paying much more attention to the experiences that people have moment to moment, day to day. And let me give a little example and a story about that contrast. Uh, one of my friends, one of our friends, worked for a company, let's call them Media Land. And she um, spent the whole of the evening that we were out for dinner complaining about her job, her commute, her colleagues, her boss. Everything about her day-to-day -day experience suggested that she was miserable. And then without any hint of irony at the end of dinner, she said, of course, I love working at uh, um, Medialand. And uh, well, there's no irony in that, because much of the lives that we live are lived in stories of the things that we think should make us happy. Media Land is a great, prestigious media organisation. How could she not be happy working there? Her friends were jealous, her parents were proud. It's somewhere she'd always wanted to work. But day to day, moment to moment, her experiences were telling her something quite different. And it's those experiences, day to day, moment to moment, that we need to pay more attention to. And sometimes in the choices that we make, we, don't pay, in, we, we pay more attention to the stories of the things that we're told should make us happy rather than paying attention to those experiences. So, you are nearly always happier when you're paying attention to what you're doing and who you're doing it with. And so, try to design your environments in ways that make that easier. And Paul Dolan's book, Happiness by Design, is out now. Buy it wherever you buy your books. You know when you go on a ride in an amusement park and you start to get that really kind of queasy feeling brewing at the bottom of your stomach and then it's followed by that really awkward puke in a nearby bin? Well, that's likely Adrian Chuk's fault. The brain at the Mixed Reality Lab in Singapore spends his time messing with your senses. So where is the future of our thrill-seeking headed? Is it a case of soon we won't have to jump out of a plane, but we'll simply get that exact neurological sensation through a machine? Well, according to Adrian, maybe. We have a lab, uh, myself and uh, my students, uh, Mixed Reality Lab, and Mixed Reality really is trying to merge the, the real world that we live in with the virtual world. and. Uh, 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 of course, uh, we, we started with uh, augmenting vision, uh, you know, like you see the virtual reality headsets and uh, augmented reality headsets, that's how we started. But what I realised is that uh, just augmenting uh, vision is not enough. Uh, what, I, what we normally found is we, we could make a, a 3D object, let's say a 3D flower, and people could see it. The first thing they did is try to touch it. Uh, so then I realised we need to uh, augment uh, all of our senses with virtual reality. So you should be able to not just see a virtual flower, but touch it and even smell it. So that's what we've been working on. Uh, we've uh, developed in our lab devices that you can uh, have uh, virtual touch. Uh, we've made uh, hugging pajamas that you can hug each other through the internet. Uh, we've developed kiss kissing messengers uh, that you can even kiss through the internet. And uh, now we're working on uh, taste and smell interfaces. So. Uh, We've made an electric taste machine that can, uh, your computer can stimulate your tongue to have a virtual taste and uh, uh, devices that you can send a smell message through your mobile phone. 
But this is, I think, just just the, we're on the threshold of the next stage, which is uh, soon we'll uh, we'll be able to directly stimulate the brain neurons. Uh, in fact, we're working on a device to magnetically stimulate your olfactory sense using magnetic coils. And uh, the next step will be uh, to directly connect to our brain. Already, scientists have uh, successfully connected to neurons of insects and mice. Uh, so you you can see that uh, with the exponential increase of technology, I think we'll be able to connect to our brains in the uh, mid to far term future. I think within our lifetimes, we can connect our brain to the uh, virtual uh, reality. And I think, if you think about it, uh, we already live in a virtual reality. Our brain, it, our brain by itself can't sense anything. All right, so why, why do we see uh, the color red when we look at that uh, uh, professor's <laughs> suit? Uh, actually, we, can't, we can only describe red as a certain frequency, but that doesn't mean anything. We, we, we can't actually describe what is red, and we, I can't be sure that you see the same as uh, what I see. So already, we live in a kind of analog virtual reality. I don't think it's very far off when we can directly stimulate our brain and uh, we'll have a new kind of virtuality, not just simulating reality, but going beyond reality. Why can't I be an eagle flying in the sky? I don't have to be just human. So I think we, the next stage of our communication will be, will be hyper-reality. And there is one way to know if hyper-reality is, in fact, coming our way. A time machine. But sadly, no such device was on display at FutureFest. However, there was Dan Schreiber. Dan is a part of a team that puts together the very funny, very factual podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish, which, as an aside, you should go and download. Here's Dan with his take on the future and his time travel to-do list. We all into just great facts. I like, because there's something about a great fact. This definitely is the kind of crowd where you, you, you just totally love it. Like, anytime I hear a good fact, there, it hits me in a way that I just think, oh, that's incredible. Like, one of my favorite ones that I read recently, and I love this. In 1895, the only two cars in Ohio crashed into each other. <laughs> I mean, how? How did that happen? And what was the conversation that happened afterwards? With that, you came out of nowhere. Like, no. That would have been a new thing. That was actually the first car crash that America had in Ohio in 1895. Uh, other stuff that I was thinking about today, um, time travelers. My God, why is there not a time traveler here? Or at least someone just pretending to be a time traveler. And Because I, I am obsessed with time travel. I hope we crack it one day. I hope we do get a chance to go back into the past. Um, I became interested in it because I got told a thing by a conspiracy theorist recently. Um, which is that he said to me, apparently the real reason that the Titanic sank is not because it hit an iceberg, but because so many time travelers visited it at the same time that the weight of humans literally pushed it underneath the ocean surface. And to me, that kind of makes sense. Like, I don't believe him. I'm not, I'm not a nutcase. But think about it. Like, if we do crack time travel, isn't that where all of us are going? Like, there's top five spots, JFK assassination, we're going to go back to the Titanic. It'll be a tourist, like, hellhole, won't it? It'll be all of us, it'll be Essex stag dudes, we'll all be trying to get to the boat to go, I'm the king of the world. Like, it will be a nightmare. And so I think the cool thing that we could do is we could start compiling a list of amazing places that the future people, and we have to do it now because history is going to be forgot. You know, if, if we don't talk about the cars that crashed in 1895 in Ohio, that's going to disappear from history. How great would it go to watch that, watch the first ever crash. That should be on the list of a few places I'd love to go that I've written about. Um, did anyone see the imitation game recently? 
Okay, so obviously in, in uh, Bletchley Park, amazing stuff going on with, uh, with Alan Turing and the way they were cracking stuff. But I would go back to see this story. I would go back when they were trying to crack the Enigma code. There was a big situation where they were going, we don't know how to do this. We haven't got enough people to help us crack this. And they told their HR department, go and look for the best cryptogrammist in the world. And he was like, okay, I will. And he found him. And he was working at the Natural History Museum in London. They thought, we can't believe our luck. This is amazing. So they got this guy, Jeffrey Tandy, to come down to Bletchley, a place that technically didn't exist, that no one had heard of, and he didn't know where he was going. And they sat him down, and they said, Jeffrey Tandy, we're in a situation here. We've got the Enigma code. The Germans have got it. We need to crack it. You're the best cryptogrammist in the world. Can you save us? And Jeffrey Tandy said, ooh, I'm a cryptogamist. Now, a cryptogamist is someone who deals in seaweed and moss, right? And basically, due to a slight dyslexic error on the part of the HR person, the wrong guy was brought down, and he couldn't leave because it was top secret, and he spent all of World War II just twiddling his thumbs going, I have no idea what I'm doing. That's where I'd love to go in the time machine. I'd love to visit Jeffrey Taddy and just go, how you doing, man? What are you up to? Literally nothing. Literally just hanging out here. That would be an awesome spot. Um, I think the future is actually about collaboration. Uh, I know that sounds really weird, but here's what I mean by that. I, I do, I do stand-up comedy, and I write on, on certain shows, and, and I end up going to places I'm not meant to be, really, in the kind of thing that I do. I end up going to sort of science parties, and, and I hang around with people who do odd jobs. Shouldn't really be there, but I've discovered a really wonderful thing. If you put yourself in the wrong place at the right time, interesting stuff starts to happen. I think most of us live our lives by being in the right place at the right time. We go, I'll be at the right place at the right time, I'll get a job. But that makes life really predictable and really kind of, that's what I was going for. And then you go for the next thing. Put yourself in the wrong place at the right time and really interesting things start happening. Um, and I have one final example. Uh, and this would be another spot I'd go to in the time machine if I did have that. And this, this really kind of the wrong place, right time thing. This is back at Bletchley as well. This is the final spot. They got to a point in Bletchley where they'd managed to sink a U-boat. Absolutely amazing, sank a U-boat. So they went on board, and on board was the code book for the Enigma machine that would help them crack it. The only problem was by the time they got to it, the boat had sunk or the submarine had sunk so much that the book was virtually completely waterlogged. It was in bits. So they brought it back to Bletchley and it was an extraordinarily sad moment in the war because they're looking at a book that was going to help everything. It was going to crack everything. And they had the top code breakers in the world all staring at this thing going, there is nothing we could do. No one could do anything. No one except one man who'd been twiddling his thumbs in the background for the last few years who walked forward and said, my name is Jeffrey Tandy. I'm from the Natural History Museum and I am the world leading cryptogamist. I deal in this kind of stuff all the time. And he dried out the book, they managed to open it, they got the codes and that led to helping us crack the Enigma code. Wrong place, right time. I really think that's the way to the future. I caught up with Dan Schreiber at FutureFest to ask him if he had that same time machine, where he'd go in the future. I'd, I'd want to be a part of being in the room when the first time tra Traveller came back. So, you, I'd, so you'd have to have known that someone, I guess, was going to come back to a certain point. I think Stephen Hawking threw a time traveller party once where he sent an invitation years ago out to, or he, he said that he was going to host it on the specific day at a specific time. No one came. It was obviously tongue in cheek, but I'd love to be in that room at that party when someone came back and goes, hey, we did it. Here we are. So yeah, that would be one spot. Uh, more spots, I would love to go to, um, hmm, I don't know, that's such a tricky question because it hasn't happened yet. Uh, there is, I mean, it's happening right now, but 
that was a thing. Terry Pratchett, who just died, um, really sadly, he, he said this thing about um, when you die, uh, they say that life flashes before your eyes. Um, and it does. It's called your life. And that's that's a really nice thing. I love that I love that we are time traveling right now. Like this is time travel. Um, yeah, so uh, other places. I don't know, where would you go? Well, um, where would I go? I think like the first time there's a big spaceship crash. As you said, car crash. Like what about when the right. first two spaceships crash, crash into, into each, each other? other. Yeah. And who fills out the insurance paperwork for that one? I feel like that would be pretty interesting. Well, there's a lot of stuff at the moment. Um, there's a lot of people who are lawyers for space debris in space. And there's this whole thing, this is amazing. Um, you're no longer allowed to uh, defecate or urinate into space anymore if you're orbiting the planet because it shoots out into the world like uh, it shoots around the world, rather, at the speed of six times a bullet. And I think there's actually been close calls where you know bits of feces have actually almost knocked out an entire satellite. So we might end up seeing something like that, but like in gravity, except with uh, you know all the debris that's out there at the moment. So that might not be in the too far future, sadly. Uh, I'd love to see us uh, make contact with another species. That would be amazing. Um, uh, as in like an alien species. Actually, I'd love to see us start talking to animals. I'd love that if it was just a thing that we haven't cracked yet and that we actually can do it. I mean, I don't know how far it's got with gorillas, but um, I don't know, I think we'd get on and I think it would change everything. I think, I think it would be like, you know, if you knew Nala from Lion King in person, that would be a very different world that we'd be living on. Uh, you know, you'd be talking to Nala, Simbu is always Simbu is at work. Uh, that would change, literally, wouldn't that change everything? Like, unless, unless we would still be mean, but you would hope that we're getting to a point now where we're just accepting new species. And that's a future that I'm looking forward to. That's it for this episode of the Feature Fest podcast. This podcast featured music by Steve Coombs and Broke for Free. FutureFest is brought to you by Nesta, the independent innovation charity with a mission to help people and organizations bring great ideas to life. Join the conversation, go to the website nesta.org.uk, where you will find a fine selection of videos from FutureFest and more. We'll be back next time as we focus on global issues that'll shape Africa's future. But until then, I'm Emily Elias. Goodbye. Goodbye.